Welcome to the Westminster Pulpit, an extension of the worship ministry at Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format, and may this sermon nurture your life in a meaningful way as we proclaim our Savior. We now join Executive Pastor Dr. Tucker York. Please turn in your Bible to Numbers 22. I was curious to see who would show up tonight after Pastor Walker announced this morning that tonight's sermon would feature a talking donkey. I turned to Jim Russell sitting next to me and said, I've been called worse. So yes, we have a passage tonight that is a favorite among children, featuring a talking donkey. And our passage offers a rare window into the pagan world with a king who is terrified, so much so that he hires a man renowned in the ancient world for being able to manipulate the spiritual realm and calling upon him to curse God's people. And all this while Israel is apparently oblivious, but God remains in control to faithfully care for and protect his people from all threats, both present and future. I will read Numbers 22, one through, verses 1 through 35, and we'll summarize the rest of our lengthy chapters. Listen to God's word. And then the people of Israel set out and camped in the plains of Moab beyond the Jordan at Jericho. And Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was in great dread of the people, because they were many. Moab was overcome with fear of the people of Israel. And Moab said to the elders of Midian, This horde will now lick up all that is around us, as the ox licks up the grass of the field. So Balak, the son of Zippor, who was king of Moab at that time, sent messages, messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor, at Pinthor, which is near the river in the land of the people of Ammah, to call him, saying, Behold, a people has come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the earth, and they are dwelling opposite me. Come now, curse this people for me, since they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them from the land. For I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the fees for divination in their hand. And they came to Balaam and gave him Balak's message. And he said to them, Lodge here tonight, and I will bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. So the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam, and God came to Balaam and said, Who are these men with you? And Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent to me, saying, Behold, a people has come out of Egypt, and it covers the face of the earth. Now come, curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to fight against them and drive them out. God said to Balaam, You shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. So Balaam rose in the morning and said to the princes of Balak, Go to your own land, for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. So the princes of Moab rose and went to Balak and said, Balaam refuses to come with us. Once again, Balak sent princes, more in number and more honorable than these. And they came to Balaam and said to him, Thus is Balak the son of Zippor, Let nothing hinder you from coming to me. 
for I will surely do you great honor. And whenever you say to me, I will do, come, curse his people for me. But Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the command of the Lord my God to do less or more. So you two, please stay here tonight, that I may know what more the Lord will say to me. And God came to Balaam at night and said to him, If the men have come to call you, rise, go with them, but only do what I tell you. So Balaam rose in the morning and saddled his donkey and went with the princes of Moab. But God's anger was kindled because he went. And the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as his adversary. And he was riding on the donkey, and his two servants were with him. And the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. And the donkey turned aside out of the road and went into the field. And Balaam struck the donkey to turn her into the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on either side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed against the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. And Balaam's anger was kindled, and he struck the donkey with a staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, Because you have made a fool of me. I wish I had a sword in my hand, for then I would kill you. And the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey, on which you have ridden all your life long to this day? Is it my habit to treat you this way? And he said, No. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand. And he bowed down and fell on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to oppose you because your way is perverse before me. The donkey saw me and turned aside before me these three times. If she had not turned aside for me, surely just now I would have killed you and let her live. Then Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know that you stood in the road against me. Now, therefore, if it is evil in your sight, I will turn back. And the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, but speak only the word that I tell you. So Balaam went on with the princes of Balak. This is God's word. Father, this evening we would ask that the words of my mouth that the meditations of each of our hearts might be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Fear drives people to do strange things. The king Balak was greatly afraid, and rightly so, of the horde of the Israelites who had just defeated several of Moab's superior enemies and whose God had brought the mighty Egyptian empire down to its knees. Now, Balak was ignorant of the fact that God had forbidden Israel from attacking Moab. He was determined to equip his military with a level playing field, and so brought on a hired gun, 
a great seer with a reputation that expanded beyond 400 miles the distance between his home along the Euphrates River and the land of Moab. Greed also drives people to do strange things. Against his better judgment, a man who received visions from the Lord, Balaam moves closer and closer to harm's way, ignoring the warnings on his quest to be richly compensated for his services. Now, Israel was not privy to this episode until after the fact. They were unaware of King Balak's efforts to recruit Balaam onto his team. That was all for the best, for Israel likely would have gone bananas in fear if they knew that the greatest wizard in the world was being called upon to curse them. Now, we don't know when or how Moses gained access to this story, whether through a human agent or by direct divine revelation. It was said much later that the prophet Elisha could hear the very words of the king of Syria as he counseled with his court advisors. But the Lord gave this episode to his people then and for us today to reassure, reassure us that greater is God's power than the power in the world. And that greater is God's wisdom than the wisdom in the world. And greater is God's love than the love that is in the world. Well, here Israel makes its last stop on its way into Canaan, camping out on the plains of Moab. They had endured many hardships. They had buried almost an entire generation. And they had just won a great victory over King Sihon of the Amorites. God's power to provide, to protect, to fulfill his promises had proven him faithful time and time again. And when Balaam saw this great threat, he and his elders had great dread of Israel and sought to form an alliance with the Midianites. It says that they were overcome with fear. Now, the Moabites were the descendants of Lot, Abraham's nephew, through the sad occasion of incest with his daughter at the destruction of the city of Sodom. And then the Midianites were, had relations with Israel. Recall the Midianite traders had taken Joseph and sold him as a slave to Egypt. Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, who was probably long deceased by now, had been a priest of Midian. But the elders of these two nations assessed that they were overmatched, that this great horde of people would lick them up as the ox licks up the grass of the field. But rather than cry out to God or to appeal to the leaders of Israel, these men conclude that war is inevitable and they seek greater firepower. It's peculiar that they don't seek out an alliance with other nations. Rather, they seek one powerful man living far away and send a delegation that will require at least a six-week round trip. They send this delegation to appeal to Balaam, 
this renowned man, to come and curse the people of Israel because they are too mighty for Balak and his men. Now, Balaam had a reputation that whomever he blesses is blessed and whomever he curses is cursed. And we hear an echo from the promise God gave to Abraham in Genesis 12, 3. I will bless those who bless you. And him who curses you, I will curse. No doubt Balak was ignorant of this promise. And in his quest was bringing judgment upon himself as he sought to curse God's people, a people God was determined to bless. Well, next we see the restraining power of God. As this band of Moabite and Midianite elders take the long journey to seek out Balaam, and he greets them, and hears their request. He has them lodge there for the night. And in the night, the Lord speaks to Balaam. Who are these men with you? Now, God is not asking for information he does not have. But as the great questioner, God has a tendency to reveal men's hearts with questions. Balaam here has an opportunity to reflect upon who is giving him orders and who whose commission he might accept. And Balaam is forthcoming with God and reveals to God everything that he knows about Balak and the Moabites and the request. And here we see God's authority and power on display as he tells Balaam not to go, not to curse these people, for they are blessed. And so Balaam rises early the next day and he reports to the men that God has forbidden him to go. And so Balaam appears faithful to God. But as the story advances, we gain the suspicion that Balaam is playing hard to get. This is a negotiating strategy holding out for more money. This delegation goes back to Balak to report the bad news and six weeks wasted. And you would think that such time would give the king of Moab an opportunity to consider a new or different approach, but no. In desperation, he sends more princes and elders, men who are more honorable, and he sends with them pledges to honor Balaam. And that whatever you say to me, I will do. He is offering Balaam a blank check. Name your price. Just come and curse this people. To Balak, this is merely a matter of negotiations. To him, Balaam is plain hard to get. In his mind, every man has his price. And we ask ourselves, what, what about you? What about me? At what price might we be tempted to betray our Lord? Balaam's response is curious. He here says that though Balak would give him his entire house full of silver and gold, he cannot go beyond the command of the Lord his God. Balaam 
seems to be forsaking riches out of obedience to the Lord. He even calls the Lord the Lord his God in a, in a personal way. But I will maintain that these are simply tactics to sweeten the negotiating price. And what begins to unfold is a showdown between Balaam, who would use God and his gifts to get riches for himself, and God, who would use Balaam for his own glory. Balaam sends the men to bed, and that night the Lord comes to him with a curious statement. The Lord says, if the men have come to you, have come to call you, go with them, but only do what I tell you. Is the Lord giving Balaam clearance to go, or is this a test? The Lord has already been quite explicit that Balaam is not to curse Israel. And the only reason Barak wants Balaam to come is to curse Israel. Logically, then, there is no reason for Balaam to go unless he is seeking gain. And yet, even in his quest, the Lord is seeking an opportunity to magnify and glorify his own name. For Balaam, the decision is clear. Go with these men and follow your idols or stay home and follow the Lord. The tale of Balak is instructive. His response is the response of the world. And so, Christian, when you and I are facing hard things, don't pity yourself. Pity the world. For what do you and I have to be afraid of? But the world, for its part, fears you, fears God, fears death, and what lies beyond it. But greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Later, Rahab will tell Joshua's spies that the hearts of the men of Jericho had melted and that there was no spirit left in them. Much later, King Peljazar of Babylon, when he saw the handwriting on the wall, his knees knocked as he quaked with fear. Fear not those who can kill the body. Fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Our introduction to Balaam is quite instructed. He was gifted. He was blessed of God with an incredible ability, an incredible opportunity. And what will he do with it? He has a choice. To either submit to the Lord or follow his own devices. And you and I, in our flesh, have a tendency to want to negotiate with God. To offer him mere half-hearted commitment. To give ourselves a way out. Like Balaam, we too may be tempted to intentionally allow ourselves to be pulled along by temptation, whether that be sexual, overspending, overeating, drinking, or corrupting 
talk. May our important decisions in life be led by deep biblical conviction rather than the whims of desire and circumstances. Remember remember that Lot chose to live near Sodom, though he knew better. His wife paid the price when she looked back after the angels had said, run for your lives. Balaam goes with the men. And God's anger is kindled because he went. The Lord God saw what was in Balaam's heart. He saw his greed. He saw his conniving spirit looking for ways to get around the Lord's commands. Perhaps you could say the Lord was not angry necessarily with Balaam going, but the manner in which he meant lacking submission to the Lord. And so the Lord sends Balaam a warning. The angel of the Lord appears and stands in the way as his adversary. You do not want the angel of the Lord to be your adversary. And whether this is one of the angelic ranks or the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ, the angel of the Lord clearly represents the Lord, like the commander of the Lord's armies that met Joshua outside on the plains of Jericho. The Lord opens the eyes of the donkey. They see standing before her an angel with a sword in his hand, and yet the eyes of Balaam and his two servants remain closed. The donkey had enough sense to avoid the danger and turn off the road, and consequently Balaam beat her. The angel took up a new spot in a narrow pass between two vineyards with walls, and the donkey saw the incumbing threat pushed hard against one wall to get around the angel and consequently crushed her master's foot. And in his frustration, he beat her again. And then lastly, the angel found a narrow passage where there was no room around either side for the donkey to avoid confrontation. So she wisely lays down. And for a third time, Balaam beat his donkey with a staff out of his blindness and ignorance. It's ironic that an international expert in magic cannot see the angel, but his donkey can. Balaam is blind and impotent. This professional seer who made a living out of discerning the messages of God to others what would seem only random tea leaves and formations of birds in the sky. He cannot see the angel standing clearly before him. And the donkey makes a fool out of him, reducing him to beating his donkey and wailing at her with empty threats. The world-famous super-prophet was blind and unable to inflict any harm. The donkey lays down, and Balaam's anger is kindled. The Lord opens the mouth of the donkey, and she asks, why has he beaten her these three times? And rather than be amazed at his own beast of burden talking and concluding that the Lord was trying to get his attention, 
Balaam engages in a conversation as though that's something he did every day with his animals. Balaam justifies his actions. That she has made a fool out of him in front of his servants. Ignorant of the fact that there is a dangerous sword near him ready to slay him, he wishes he had a sword in his hand to strike her dead. Here is a man in his folly, prepared to commit injustice, character exposed. But it's the donkey who answers with reason, calling his attention to the fact that all of her life she had been a reliable riding companion. Had she ever mistreated him? She's like the servants of Naaman the Syrian, who reasoned with him when he went off in a storm at the instructions of Elijah to wash in the Jordan River. The soft reason of a humble spirit. Here God uses a donkey to bring a straying prophet back to his senses, at least for now. Balaam is like many who appear to obey the Lord for a time, but wander off on a different path. There are those who remain restrained temporarily by the good-natured folk of another. King Joash of Judah was good while Jehoiada the priest remained alive, but after his death, King Joash went downhill. Some such folks show their true colors when such grace is removed from their lives. But then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam to see the angel, to become aware of his grave danger. And Balaam wisely bows in humble homage before the angel of the Lord, who rebukes him, asking why he has struck his donkey these three times, for she had saved his life. Balaam thought that his donkey had deserved death for her disobedience. But what about him, who was on the course of a perverse errand? The angel stood opposed to him, for his way was perverse, driven by greed, to curse the Israel of God. The angel gets Balaam's attention. For without his dear donkey, he would now be dead. And so he humbles himself and confesses his sin. And at the time, he is willing to turn back if the Lord commands it. If I were him, I would have just turned back. Balaam will be used by God to fulfill the Lord's purpose. And we notice that in the remaining chapters of this episode, Balaam will only speak what the Lord gives him to speak. He now fears God for the sake of his own life. But even that will wither once greed gets the best of him. The Lord, in his wisdom, is determined to use Balaam to bless his own people as a testimony to all the nations. The Lord will deliver them and provide for his people. In the next scene, Balak meets Balaam at the border, eager for his arrival. He peppers him with questions on why his delay and 
Balaam insists that he can only speak. Well, the Lord has given him to speak. And Balaam, who, Balak, who was ignorant of the Lord and ignorant of his relationship with Israel, still thinks he can lure Balaam away to curse the people of God. There are lessons here for Israel and us. Heathen prophets are dumber than donkeys. We need not fear the madness of the kings of the earth, whose agendas are futile if it's the Lord's determination to bless us. And God will not be manipulated by the whims of man, nor will he forsake his promises. And if God can use a donkey, if he can use a false prophet, even an ornery prophet like Jonah, so he can use anyone, you or I, for his glorious purposes. So thirdly, as we transition into the four oracles of chapters 23 and 24, we see here a theme of God's faithfulness, and that greater is God's love than the love that is in the world. We notice that in each of these oracles, Balaam requires Balak to build seven altars, to sacrifice seven bulls, and ram seven being the number of perfection. And though Balak orders Balaam to curse Israel, the first oracle, Balaam says, how can I curse whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? Balak protests. But nonetheless, Balaam says, must I not take care to speak what the Lord puts in my mouth? And so the Lord frustrates the will of this pagan king, controlling this prophet to do his bidding. And yet Balak will not give up. He takes Balaam to yet another place. And there the Lord meets with Balaam. And in the second oracle, Balaam proclaims the character of God as a witness to the pagans that the Lord is not like their fickle gods. God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? The Lord rebukes Balak who thinks he can manipulate the Lord. God uses Balaam to speak the truth. Hebrews 6.18 records that it is impossible for God to lie. And what a comfort in a world full of lies that truth will ultimately prevail. As Balaam continues... He says in the first oracle, the Lord their God is with them. For there is no enchantment against Jacob, no divination against Israel. Now it shall be said of Jacob and Israel, what has God wrought? No scheme of man shall prevail against God's people in the church of Christ. By now, Balak has nearly lost his mind and chastises Balaam, who reminds him that he can only do what the Lord tells him to do. And one would think that Balak would give up. But like the hard-hearted Pharaoh, he tries again, taking Balaam to another place, presuming perhaps that the regional gods might 
influence another area and sway God to curse Israel. For Balak sees God as fickle, subject to the whims of this life and easily influenced by men. And how sad is the common belief in our day that God is subject to the whims of man rather than the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth who fulfills his will and carries out his mission. Next, in the third oracle, the Spirit of God comes upon Balaam. And it is strange that the Spirit of God would dwell with such sinful, unbelieving men like Balaam, like Saul. Balaam here claims that he hears the words of God, that he sees the visions of the Almighty, and he offers a beautiful vision of God's people flourishing. How lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your encampments, O Israel. He projects images of lush gardens, and he closes with the Abrahamic promise, blessed are those who bless you, and cursed are those who curse you. And by now you would think that Balak would get the message. And yet he gets matter. In chapter 24, verse 10, it says his anger was kindled against Balaam. In that Hebrew phrase of anger being kindled like a fire, used three times in our passage referring to the Lord's anger with Balaam, Balaam's anger with his donkey, Balak's anger with Balaam. Balaam has God mad at him. And now he has Balak mad at him. And if the world hates you, better to have the world as your enemy than God as your enemy. Balak ridicules Balaam for blessing Israel now these three times and claims that he had intended to honor the prophet, but the Lord has prevented it. So Balaam's beef ultimately was with God, not Balaam. But in the fourth oracle, without moving or out being asked, Balaam pronounces he sees a star out of Jacob. And some thousand years later, Magi, practicing the same craft as Balaam, would follow a star and greet the newborn Savior of Israel, God's own Messiah. Balaam is given foresight into the Redeemer, a king of Israel who would crush the forehead of Moab, deliver his people from oppression. Here is a reference, an allusion to Genesis 3. The promise of a Redeemer who would crush the serpent's head. King David was Messiah-like as a ruler, a military leader, a prophet, and deliverer of Israel. And the Lord Jesus would adopt the name Son of David in fulfillment of his messianic role with much greater ambitions than merely putting down regional conflicts. Jesus would not be manipulated by ruthless kings, not be put down by false prophets, and would not be thwarted by greedy men, even though one of his own disciples would betray him and deliver him into the hands of the wicked. And though he was arrested and put on trial and flogged and put on a Roman cross, 
the Lord Jesus was in control the entire time. And there demonstrated the full power, wisdom, and love of God by enduring the cross, despising its shame. Who died, who rose again to complete God's victory over sin and death. Balaam was privileged to see a vision of the coming Redeemer. To be used by God to rebuke a pagan king, to uplift God's people, and yet refuses to submit to the Lord or honor him. He is like Judas, who betrayed his Lord. Determined for payment, we are told later in Numbers 31.16, where it informs us that it was Balaam's advice to Balak to send the women of Moab to seduce the men of Israel into committing idolatry and immorality. Though Balaam could not curse Israel directly, he offered a plan for Israel to bring a curse upon themselves. Israel fell into sin and the worship of Baal Peor in Numbers 25, committing fornication. And in his judgment, God inflicted upon them a plague that took the lives of 24,000 men. So in the end, Balak got what he wanted before his own demise. And what remains in the testimony of Scripture assesses Balaam's unrighteous character. He is named no less than three times in the New Testament as a portrayal of ungodly behavior. 2 Peter 2.15 says that those forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing. Jude 11 adds, Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. And in the clearest indictment upon the idolatry of Israel and the church. Revelation 2.14 offers, But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual immorality. Balaam will receive his reward as he perishes in battle in Numbers chapter 31. He reminds us that a person can confess, I have sinned, and yet fail to repent, or be converted. True and faithful repentance and faith oftentimes must be demonstrated over time, over repeated opportunities to turn back to the Lord. Every age has its seductive temptations. There will always be ruthless kings and false prophets seeking to harm the Lord's people until the day of his final return. Until then, stand firm. Be vigilant. Hold fast to the power and the wisdom and the love of God that trumps all the fakes of this world. Trust the Lord who can turn the curses of this world into blessings. 
David prayed that the Lord would turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. And so Absalom heeded the counsel of Hushai to his own doom. The Lord is able to turn great evil into something good. Joseph's brothers intended him harm, but the Lord used his sufferings for good, the saving of many lives. And wicked men, influenced by the evil one, sought to destroy the Son of God and appeared for a time to succeed in putting him to death. But their evil deeds were used by God to secure our eternal redemption. At the cross, an awful curse was turned into the greatest blessing, our eternal redemption. Praise him. Thank him. Trust him who is always faithful. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Father, we do praise you and thank you that you guard and protect your people, that you even turn evil deeds and curses into great blessings as you are fulfilling the great plan of redemption, first accomplished by your Son, and are bringing it to a glorious completion at the day of his final return. Help us to walk with that faith and that hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we do pray. Amen. The Westminster Pulpit is courtesy of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You are welcome to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 8 or 11 a.m. To learn more or have questions about the gift of salvation through Christ Jesus our Savior, contact us at westpca.com. Thank you, and may Christ be glorified through this ministry, the Westminster Pulpit.